Hi there, I'm Jen Blandos, the founder of Female Fusion. I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 years with experience in building seven-figure businesses and working around the world. Originally, I'm from Canada, but I've been living in Dubai for the past 14 years. I've created this podcast to share my insights and expertise as a global entrepreneur and help other women start, build, grow, and scale their businesses. You'll also hear from some of the world's top experts and female entrepreneurs who will inspire and motivate you to achieve your business goals. So join me as we explore all that the world has to offer and build the business of your dreams. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Women on the Rise and I am so excited for today's episode because we are hosting my friend Marie Kirkpatrick from Australia and Marie is a sales strategist and ever since I've known Marie I've said to her you have to talk to my members of Female Fusion because this woman is a genius for everything sales related. And one of the things that female entrepreneurs hate the most is selling. And so today we have Marie, who is going to deep dive with us on everything related to sales. Hi, Marie. How are you? Hi, Jen. I'm awesome. I'm so pumped to be here. And I cannot wait to share with your awesome listeners more about sales and how sales can actually be really sexy. I may not have you convinced yet, But I think by the end of it, you may have a few light bulbs going off. Ooh, sales is sexy. I like that. Um, Before we jump in, maybe just tell everybody a little bit about you and your background so they know know where you're coming from. Perfect. So I have been uh, running my sales consulting Mm -hmm. firm for about eight and a half, nine years. Um, I have run businesses prior to that but I feel like when I had those other businesses I was very much hiding I was looking for a business rather than following a true passion and excitement and so my first ever sales consulting client came through from someone that I used to work with many many years ago who had paid a gentleman to come in and train his team on how to sell and it cost him a small fortune and apparently the guy wasn't amazing and so he said ha 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 I should have let you do it and I walked out that door and I sat in my car in a dark car park and I thought why didn't I say anything and so I swore from that day that things were going to be different so I called him back look I'll be honest it took me a couple of days to get the lady balls to call him back and say let's let's have a go at this. You know, you, you would be my first client doing this, but I'd love to give it my best shot. And ever since then, I have found a really big calling for helping people learn how to sell in a really connected and relationship focused way, because I know the difference it can have on their business. And that's why I feel like sales is sexy. Making money is sexy. Making money easily is sexy. So if you learn how to sell and be really clear on how to sell what it is that you do, beautiful. Mm, I love that. And I love the story as well of your first client that um, that's so special as well. I remember my very first client as well when I set up my business and just those people that put the trust in you and give you the confidence to go for it uh, are so special as well. Yeah. And they're the people that you never forget. 
So, like, this was, as I said, nearly nine years ago. It's probably over nine years, actually, now that I think about it. But he probably doesn't even realise the impact he's had. Um, And I am so truly grateful and blessed uh, for him and the journey that he's put me on. Well, that's fantastic. Now, you work um, a lot with female entrepreneurs. Um, I find that female entrepreneurs sell differently, don't they? Um, And there's this fear too, like so many, and I hear this as well from so many female entrepreneurs that they're like, I can't sell. I just, I I can't sell. I don't know. I don't know how to do it. Um, What do you um, see are some of the the challenges that female entrepreneurs maybe have that maybe other people don't have when it comes to selling? Yeah. So men and women do very much buy and sell very differently. But I think when it comes to women and the reason why I'm so passionate with working with women is we are so much more than just about making money. We want to make relationships. We want to make a difference. We want to connect. We want to build those relationships. And some of the challenges that I feel that come up for women is that they put their self-worth on their product or service or their dollar value or their pricing and they take it so personally where men just don't even seem to care. They will go and throw things out there and see what happens. Where women, we take it personally. We are such more emotional beings than what men are. Not that men aren't emotional, but we do things very differently. And so when I help women sell what it is that they do, it's all about building that connection, building that relationship and doing things that make them feel good. You don't have to sell in a hustle, pushy, uncomfortable type of way. That's not what sales is really about. Um, if you ask me, some people may disagree, but I feel like if you can build connections, connections and relationships are life. It is, you know, when, when you say connections and relationships are life, I, I emphasize, I, I emphasize this so much because people will say things like, um, oh, you know, I'm so busy. I don't need to network or, um, I'm so busy. I'm, you know, I, I'm trying to do work. I don't need to go to networking. I don't need to meet people. And I'm like, how are you going to grow your business? Yeah. If, if you're not meeting people. And I was thinking about this the other day, just even in my business, that the growth that I've experienced in all of my businesses are a result of people who I've met, who I have, who, if I was sitting in my office, I wouldn't have encountered these people that I actually had to go out and connect and meet with these people yeah absolutely I I'm an introvert and I was having this conversation with someone today that didn't believe I was an introvert um but I completely am like my energy and managing my energy is really really important for me and I get that energy sometimes from being alone I do also get energy from being out and about and talking to people and connecting and stuff like that as well. But I think it's more along the lines of you don't know who's out there until you get out there. You don't know who you can meet. I mean, I went to a function um, last week and met a lady for, for one of my other businesses that was literally standing behind me. And I had emailed her a couple of weeks ago and hadn't heard anything back and then she, she was literally standing behind me. She was like, oh, Maria, I got your email. You're on my check-in list. I'm so sorry I haven't gotten back to you. And I was like, wow, if I wasn't at that event, I would never have established that connection a lot more deeper. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I wish, you know, it doesn't matter whether you are introverted or extroverted. 
we have to do it. And yeah. even if you feel uncomfortable with it, that it doesn't mean that you have to go to big events where there's hundreds and hundreds of people, but you never know who you're going to encounter and who you're going to, to run into that might lead to that magic new contract, or they might know somebody who they go and refer to somebody else. Um, I'm in London for a few weeks right now. And one of the things that I found is even... I've been meeting people when I've been in London and I've connected them to other people and they're actually going on and doing business right now. And I'm thinking, how incredible is that? Just the power of connection and meeting people that actually leads to other opportunities. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, especially uh, women, we love to talk. We love to kind of talk and whether it's about business, whether it's about life, whether it's about kids, whether it's about relationships, all of that stuff, we love to talk. And I I don't think you can ever really determine where your next business connection is going to be. I have made connections on the side of sporting fields. I have made connect business connections at Saturday evening events. I have made connections on a plane you know, that's a three-hour flight and I'm sitting next to someone that owns a business and they're needing help from sales. And so you're sitting there talking, like you just never know where that connection is going to come from. So, yeah, I think that's really, really powerful. It's just amazing what, I guess, what the universe throws up, right, and to be open-minded to all of those different opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, What would you say... um, how much does mindset play into to sales and, and selling? I think mindset is huge and I think it's something that people underestimate when it comes to selling. Your mindset can make or break, I believe, a uh, sales deal or closing or that new relationship starting. I know when I go through an up level and well, I'm, whether I'm selling something new, I still have wobbles around, will this sell? Can I sell this? Is the sales chick going to be able to sell what it is that she does? But if I don't have a finger on that pulse for my mindset, I couldn't spiral down into a very unpleasant, not fun place to hang out. I also see mindset stop people from doing stuff, and I don't think that's ideal either. But if you can manage your mindset, and I also talk to a lot of my clients about if you've got a sales process behind you, it takes a lot of that thinking and that worry out of it. So you know what those steps are to go from having those conversations, your messaging, all that sort of stuff through to paying clients and beyond. So mindset is is huge, absolutely. And you were mentioning as well that you have um, certain techniques or steps that that people need to follow. Would you be able to share some of those that people need to think about? Sure, absolutely. So uh, if I look at the sales process, I won't go through all of them here because obviously we don't have unlimited amount of time. Um, but and I'm going to find you to do a masterclass as well. I'm going to pull you into female vision okay. and get you to do a masterclass. Yes. <laughs> 
that. I love that. Uh, it means we can get belly to belly and people can ask questions and stuff like that too, which is what I thrive on. Uh, so the sales process starts with that first connection. How do people come in contact with your business? What does that look like? And then through to if you are having a one-on-one -on -one sales conversation, what sort of questions are you asking? What does that look like? How do we really understand where our potential client is coming from? What it is that they're wanting and what where they currently are to where they want to be. And then how do we walk them through where they are to where they want to be using our products and services as the solution to move them forward? And also saying that it's okay if they are not the right ideal client for you as well. You do not have to work with everyone. And I think that's the other thing with women in business. Sometimes we feel like we have to please everyone. And as of today, I'm giving you permission that you don't. You just don't. It is not worth your time. It is not worth your energy. It's not worth your essence. It's not worth any of that. Um, you know, I think as a business owner, it takes you a bit of time to work that out, though, doesn't it? I, I know um, in my first business, I spent many years working for the wrong clients. Um, and it was just because I was chasing after the money. And, yeah. you know, I felt this pressure that... I had to say yes to everything. Mm -hmm. And with female fusion, my view is very much, I only want to work with people who are the right connection for us. If you're not the right connection, if you're not the right partner, mm. you're not the right person to be working with us. And the amount of stress that that takes away is incredible. Yeah. And it opens you up to working with people who are the right people. Yeah, and that's exactly why... Uh, we're opening her sales club because it's finding the right people that want to hang out, that are driving, that are wanting real business success in a really connected, unsleazy, unpushy. It's more how do we get people to come to us rather than we pushing ourselves mm -hmm. onto people. That's not that's not what it's about. And I, I truly believe that the passion and the underlying values and beliefs of her sales club is find your crowd find the people that you vibe with and connect with that you can share the wins that you can share the don't want to do business anymore days that I think we all go through everything feels hard but be able to have that community to look after support you and work together to build everyone rather than that competitive uh hustly type vibe that sometimes you can find yeah that's nice to be surrounded by by people like that also as well you know as we were saying too that men and women sell differently and one of the things that i i found i remember when i established female fusion a few years ago we were doing a a workshop on sales and i had a look on the amazon bestseller list for sales books and out of the 100 sales books that they had the top 100 there was one book written by a woman yeah. and I thought that says it all like that is why women feel so uncomfortable with sales and with selling is because the way that guys are selling for the most part is different than how women are selling. And especially if you've never had a business before and you're having to, to do the sales thing. If you read one of these books that you're just like, ugh, gross, I don't want to do that. That is not how I want to sell. Um, yeah. I how would you, yeah, you need to write a book 
first. I know you've been telling me that for a little while, Jen. It's on the plan. Stay tuned. It's on the plan. (laughs) You need a book. Um, But how would you say we sell differently compared to men? I think it's about nurture. I think it's about connection. I think it's about it's not just the money. I remember, as you said before, you know, like there can be times in business when we first start that we are looking for every dollar that comes through the door. Like we say yes to anything. And I remember when I had my first big client, big client, big paycheck, and the money hit my account and I looked in my bank account and I was like, wow. And then I jumped in the shower and I remember thinking, this isn't what I thought it would feel like. I thought it would change everything. I thought it would make me feel differently. It but never it just, does, it, does it? No, no, it's yeah. still the same. It's still the same head on the same pillow at night. It doesn't change who I am. It doesn't change where I'm going. It doesn't change any of that. So once that, once I had that experience, it was then like I want to be able to have the moments of literally pure joy where women have wins. It's like I did one, I implemented one thing that you've told me, Marie, and I've tripled my turnover in seven days. Like, wow, like that is cool. And it's about having those people that you want to jump up and down with and scream at the top of your lungs because they finally get it. They know that what they do works. They know how to sell what it is that they do. That stuff's powerful. It's really powerful. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen many men that uh, give that same enthusiasm and support and nurturing and understanding of what that really truly feels like from a soul level. I think that's, yeah. I love that. And, you know, I always find it funny that you hear people say, oh, you know, women are really mean to each other. They're catty. They're competitive. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like all the women that I hang out with are super supportive and positive and cheering you on. Um, And that that's really nice as well to have that community of women, whether it's in something like female fusion or your sales club that you have as well to be surrounded by those women that will inspire you and lift you up even when you feel a bit low. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I find that that competitiveness, there are some women that are quite competitive. Um, I find that I've met uh, other salespeople that are like that, which is totally fine. That's them, not me. And I find that if you go back to where they learnt to sell, it comes from the white guy in the suit. And that's been my experience, you know. And so it's Sorry, white guys in suits. Yeah, no offence to any... (laughs) men in suits or anything along those lines I was taught by the same men in suits yeah but it, when it felt uncomfortable for me it was like I don't want to do this anymore how can I do it my way how can I create the systems and processes that are going to support me that's going to increase my conversion rates and my retention rates and all that sort of stuff but also meet some really great freaking people along the way that you end up becoming really good friends with all my clients are my friends I would go and have dinner with them I'd go and have a hot chocolate or a wine I don't drink I don't drink coffee either that makes me sound really unfun but I'm not I promise I am fun but they're the people that you would want to pick up the phone and talk to and have those great conversations with and also pick up the phone when things aren't necessarily working well for you too 
That is a cool thing about having your own business. I think, especially when you start to get over that fear of saying yes to everything that you can work with nice people and you can work with the people that you want to work with. It just, it makes life so much nicer, doesn't it? So much nicer, so much freeing, so, so light, so much, yeah, lighter. Yeah. Yeah. What about um, rejection is something, uh, especially in sales that can feel quite heavy. And I see this as well um, in female fusion and with some of our members that when somebody gets rejected, that it can really knock them for a while and even have them doubting whether they should be having a business or not. How, what, what, what do you recommend to people to overcome that rejection? Rejection is going to happen. There's no ifs, buts about it. It's going to happen. If it's not happening for you, you need to increase your prices because you're too cheap and everyone's saying yes to you. But when that rejection hits and it hits all of us, even the sales chick, my conversion rate is not 100%. I'd never want my conversion rate to be 100%. But it still catches me sometimes. I still feel like, wow, how come I couldn't get her on board or how come I couldn't work with them? Like what was that missing piece? My biggest thing is shake it off. Go for a walk, do a dance, do something. Don't take it so personally. A lot of the time people say business is personal. Yes, it absolutely is. But there are so many elements that come into it that you are not necessarily your business. Your business should stand alone on its own two feet or four feet, whatever that looks like. And so, yes, rejection is going to happen, but don't take it personally. It doesn't mean that your self-worth is there. It's not that they don't necessarily like you as a person, which I know so many women are like, maybe she just didn't like me. Maybe we just didn't click. Maybe she's not the right time. Maybe you're out of the budget. Maybe she's got a whole heap of other things going on. You just never know. Um, so, yeah. yeah, it's not personal. I, I also say to people as well that um, even if you get rejected, know that there's another opportunity that might come with that client or customer in the future. And that's why it's so important as well to be really graceful, even if you don't get that project or if you don't get that contract. Because I've had sometimes where people have been um, quite rude about it afterwards when you've said, you know, oh, I'm sorry, you know, we chose this person or we chose that business, not yours this time. And either they just completely ghosted us or, um, you know, we're quite rude going back. And I thought, actually, it's good that I chose the other person yeah. because, you know, that's not ethically a good way to behave. And I always say to people, it doesn't matter like who they are, what it is. You always need to be good with people. You always need to be, but keep it classy because you don't know that it might not work out with that other person or that other company. And you want to be the ones that they come back to. Yeah, and the other thing is, uh, I always even if someone says no to me, I always follow up. I always find yeah. ways that I can help keep them move moving forward. I've had people that that will go with another company from sales training and setting up their sales processes and systems, and then they'll figure out maybe three months, six months, twelve months down the track that maybe that wasn't a great fit. But I'm still over here. I'm still hanging out. I'm still provide providing value. I'm still nurturing them. I'm still yeah. keeping in contact. You never want to burn that bridge. Even if you are working for 
like even if you are working part-time in your business and working for someone else part-time, even if you leave your job, never slam the door so hard that it can never be reopened. I have worked with companies that I used to work for full-time in the corporate world. I've left and I'm now consulting to them. Like you just, you just never want to burn any of those bridges. Keep it classy and don't yeah. bridges. Yeah, I love that. Keep it classy. Brilliant. Yeah. And what about um, pricing is another area that people get stuck on a lot. Yeah. And I talk to our members about this a lot in Female Fusion as well. I'd love to hear your view on, on pricing. <laughs> Look, pricing's pricing's a huge uh, a huge container, if you ask me. There's different pricing strategies. There's a whole heap of uh, different techniques and stuff that you can use around your pricing. What I find happens with women in business is that they price something based on either an hourly rate or how how many hours they've got to work or do with that client, where it's better to look at what is the value you're providing and to also understand that whatever you charge doesn't mean that that's what you get in your hand. As a business owner, there's owner's drawings, which is completely separate from expenses, profit, tax, super, all that stuff. So it's your pricing is not based on your self-worth. It's not based on what you want to be necessarily earning per, per hour. Look at it from a value, like how much value are you adding to your clients? What are they getting from working with you, from your products or your services. I mean, if we even, um, I was using in an example from a workshop I ran um, recently, the difference between buying a cheap and cheerful handbag versus buying a designer handbag still solves the same problem to a certain degree, still holds all your little bits and pieces and phones and wallets and keys and all that sort of fun stuff. But there's a very big different price point in both those um, products but I'm sure Prada's not sitting there going, well, maybe I'll just charge this because maybe people will buy it if I make it cheaper. They're not even considering that sort of stuff. Yeah. They're looking at as what is their positioning in the market and basing their pricing around that. And it is. And the other thing as well is when people go too low that people also question the quality of your product or your service. Even if it's like amazing, 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 that they'll look at it and go, well, it must not be good if she's the cheapest in the market. Yeah. I think there is such thing as too cheap. Yeah. And I think the other thing I see is that people um, don't charge enough and then what happens is they are delivering so much value and they either end up burnt out or it's not financially feasible for the business to keep running at that price point. And so they do huge price increases and upset the people that have been watching from the sidelines for a little bit waiting to jump in. So I think it's better to have a good pricing strategy around what it is that you're doing. And if you start off low, what sort of increments are you looking at? How regularly are you looking at them? And what can you do to make it small jumps rather than a huge leap? Yeah. And that is, I, I guess it depends on what your what it is that you you have for your your product or your service. I um I, I tell this story often to our members that when I first set up my first business, it was a training company. And 
my, I thought, okay, I'm going to be so busy. I'm going to be cheap. People are going to come to me because I've got the best price in town and I've got the best training in town. But they looked at it and were like, well, it's the cheapest in town. It must not be good. I then took that exact same training and made it the most expensive. So I think I like three X the price. And within about two or three months, all of my courses were sold out because people were like, oh, my God, it must be amazing. Look at this. You know, I want to go with the most expensive. And it's almost like psychology that goes with it. Absolutely. There is psychology around pricing. And I talk to my clients about this all the time. And it's something that we're really going to focus on when it comes to her sales club. I have pricing calculators that people can jump in and use because I feel like pricing there's such a big scale that you can play with even when you go to buy a tv there's never just one tv there's three tvs there's five tvs all in a row and a lot of the time people will say well I don't want the cheapest one because that's obviously not going to be as good But maybe I don't need to buy the most expensive. So I'll go somewhere in the middle. And so if you can understand the psychology around the pricing and the psychology around sales, it can be a huge game changer and make things so much easier for you as well when it comes to pricing what it is that you do. It's funny how we do that, isn't it, as human beings? (laughs) Because you you described exactly what I would do for a TV as well. I might look at the really expensive one and go, oh, that looks quite good. No, it's ridiculous. I'm not going to pay five times the price as the cheaper one. But then looking at the ones in the middle about where's the benefit, where's the added value, what's going to be, what's going to be the best for, for me. Yeah. I always say to people, I'm not the, I'm not the cheapest salesperson you can work with. And I never, ever have any intention of being the cheapest. Yeah. I just don't need to be. I don't want to be. I feel like I provide really, really good value. Um, So if they're looking for the cheapest, I'll let you know as soon as you knock on the door that it's not going to be me. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. What what do you think? um, What one thing that I hear from from some entrepreneurs is that they feel frustrated that um, they will go and do work on a proposal for a client or a customer, put in all of this sort of work, then they give them the price, and then the the client will go and say, oh, it's too expensive or they'll just completely ghost them and not connect with them again. And one of the things I've said to them is stop putting in all the effort to go and put together the proposal in the first place. You've got to find a way to vet those people to make sure if it's going to be your your customer and yeah. if they're actually willing to go and pay for it. Because I'm hearing stories about, oh, I spent like three hours writing this proposal and then, you know, I quoted them $20,000, but they told me their budget was three. It's like, work that, that out first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and do you know what? If I had a dollar for every time people would say to me, Marie, I spend like a couple of hours up to a day on a proposal, a day, one whole day out of your business oh. to put together. It's literally a document of what it is that you do with a price tag on the bottom of it. I believe that the proposal in inverted commas, I don't even like to call it a proposal because a proposal tends to have the uh, understanding of price shopping around. People tend to get three proposals. Yeah. That doesn't fit well with me. 
kind of like the TVs? Are they just looking for the person in the middle? How do I know I'm the person in the middle? What does that look like? But I think it's also about proposals being a document that everyone gets, where for me, I look at what is the plan that I need to put together so that this person can see where they currently are and where they want to be and how my product or service is the best option for them. And that all starts way before the proposals even put in. And that's what I was talking about. Brief. Yeah. <laughs> but do you know what? It's not in the, brief, the brief. It's literally like take them through a sales process yeah. to get to that point of uncovering what it is that they need. What are they looking for? What sort of experience have they got? If you need to ask the budget question, ask it. Yeah. all of that so that they're really clear on what it is that you do before you send through the proposal in inverted commas it's so yeah I I started with with one of my other businesses um I mean sometimes you can't get away from spending a day on a proposal and the reason is is that you have some companies or governments that will make you do a tender And tenders are a completely different game. And I find those really frustrating because you have to register on procurement portals. You need to, you know, follow a specific system. And those things take time. And again, you know, I've started looking at that and weighing it up and going, how much money is that going to pay? What's the likelihood of me getting that contract? Is it worth me spending a day of my time because nobody else can do it because it needs that high level brain? Is it worth me spending that time doing it? Um, and I even pushed back on one client a couple of years ago and I was like, it's not worth my time. I'm not doing it. And I went back to them and said, I'm not doing your tender process. I'm not filling in these forms. I'm not giving you a performance bond, all of these different things. And then we negotiated back and forth and they came back about three or four times. And then they said, okay, can you just send us a proposal? You don't need to go through the procurement process. You don't need to fill out the forms. And I was like, okay, if I can spend an hour, fine. If it's going to be a day, no. No, because people don't factor that into their pricing either. They don't consider the prep work before the client comes on board. Like, yeah, huge. And I'm the same as you. Like a lot of people say to me, working with governments is really hard and it takes ages. I've worked with a couple of different levels of government and I've never had that sort of stuff. Like this is how I work. If you want to play, come and play. Yeah. And I think that's standing in your power though, right? And you mm. need to be confident enough. And I, and I think this is what comes with a bit of experience because it might be a little bit easier for somebody like you and I who have the experience and have the track record. And we say, we're just going to, no, sorry, no, I'm not doing it. And then they're like, wait, 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 wait. Um, no, we'd like you to work for us. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a bit easier to call the shots, but it's also knowing as well, if you decide that you want to work for government, because it can be amazing. Like one of my first clients years and years and years ago was the European Commission and the European Parliament. And I won a three-year framework contract with them. And it was so amazing because I had those contracts when we had the crash of 2008. And so that was like the only client, it was like, that took me a week to put together that tender. And back then, so this was years ago, you actually had to deliver paper copies and every page 
of your proposal had to be signed and stamped. And I remember like, and you had to personally deliver it to the European Commission in Brussels. And I remember like taking the train over from London, going like carrying these big boxes and seeing people like wheeling in, like, you know, those trolleys, they had boxes with like these tenders. And I thought, this is crazy. Like, what are we doing? I doubt they do it like that anymore. Um, But just like understanding and weighing up, is it worth the risk? Is it worth the time? For me back then it was because it built my business. It saved my business when everybody else crashed. Um, But it's one of those things that can be quite hard as well to make that call. Tenders are a whole other game. Absolutely. I think it's also uh, important to think about the, the energy the energy it's going to take because sometimes, yes, it can be, is it going to be worth my time and money? But is it also going to be worth the energy output, the stress levels, the over-processing, the overthinking about it, the never leaves the back of your mind type stuff? They're all the things you can weigh up. And even if you're new in business, you can still make those decisions. It just oh, means yeah. that if you decide to not do it that way, then you need to go and build your business in another way or have a couple of different avenues that you're drawing business in from rather than just one uh, proposal or, or um, you know, way that you want to do it. You always got to have lots of revenue streams. <laughs> always. Always. Always, always, always lots of revenue streams. What about things like... Um, sales metrics and tracking you are awesome at this um what kind of kpis or key performance indicators should um business owners be thinking about to kind of gauge their sales performance awesome great question i was talking about this uh in a room full of business owners today and someone said to me is it enough if i just look at my zero or my bookkeeping accounting software And I was like, is it enough? I don't know. That depends on you. It's a start, but is it the full picture? Absolutely not. But I like to look at things like your conversion rate. I like to look at things like your attention rate. I like to look at things like how many inquiries have you got coming in versus the output that you're doing. So if you are running a whole heap of webinars, if you are running and putting out a whole heap of social media posts, going live, doing all the bits and pieces, and the leads and inquiries aren't coming in, you need to look at those metrics. How much energy is it taking? How long is it taking you to do? Are you paying people to do anything along those lines? Is it equaling in dollars coming back into your business? So I also like to look at that. Um, I like to look at how many leads are we losing? What are the, What's that lost lead uh, number look like? So if, for example, we're doing Facebook ads and we're getting easy maths, 100 people coming in and 50 people then move on to the next stage in our sales process, what happens to those other 50? What are we doing with them? How can I put together a strategy around looking after them, re-engaging them, warming them up, finding out what it is that they need? Why did they sign why did they connect in the first place? That's a really great metric to look at too. So it just depends on what those metrics are that are important to you and your business that are going to work for you. So I think conversion rate is a huge one across all businesses. I don't know many businesses. I don't think I've come across any business that hasn't needed to look at their conversion rates. Um, You know, even 
the amount of hits on your website can be important if you're running purely online. Um, so yeah, there's a few there's a few key metrics that you can look at or key performance indicators. I also think that business owners, especially women, forget to also check in and assess how they're feeling within the business. Are they exhausted? Are they feeling like they're pushing rocks up a hill? What does that look like? What can we change? What can we implement? What can we systemize, streamline, all of that sort of stuff, I think is a really um, big indicator that sometimes we don't always look at. We think if we work harder that things will work. It doesn't always and work. And actually like sometimes you need to work less to be able to have that brain space to be able to create. Absolutely. Someone said to me the other day, I tend to go to uh, business events for a few reasons. Yeah, there's the networking element of it, but it's also being able to give myself the time and space and being in a growth environment that allows my creative juices to flow. So, yeah. And I think when you're building a business, you sometimes forget about that, don't you? That it's you're, you're thinking hustle, 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 I have to hustle and not realizing actually it's not just about the hustle. No. It's about having the time to slow down. Yeah. Sometimes you can go, you, sometimes you need to slow down to increase your speed. Yeah. I find that all the time. I, mm. I find that when I'm not feeling creative, it's when I have so much work going on that it's not giving me that space to be visionary. And then yeah. the moment that you do it, so funny, um, I have a team meeting and they're like, yep, Jen's had a day off. <laughs> you know, Jen's, Jen's been at the beach for a week. Look at these ideas because you do have that time to just go, okay, I need to catch up on my sleep. I need to eat healthy. And then all of a sudden, all of these amazing ideas come to your head as well. Yeah. The other uh, KPI that I like to track with you in my business is team capacity. Yeah. Is my team working at 100% where they're potentially on the verge of burnout? Do they have enough space for them to also be creative in what it is that they do? I bring specialists into my business because they're good at what they do and I'm good at what I do and together we grow. But what I find is that sometimes we push our team so hard that they're at maximum capacity and so there's no more there's nothing else we can get out of them or the other side of it. I've worked with clients that I will go into their business. We'll start working together for a couple of months and then they will hit maximum capacity from a, they cannot serve any more people. And so yeah. look at that, what does that look like? How do we take that next step, that next level, looking at that sort of capacity as well is something that I look at on quite a regular basis, weekly, if not monthly. Yeah, that's so true with team, actually. And that's one thing we even look at within Female Fission because we find we have a couple of launches a year. And when we have a, a launch, our membership numbers massively increase. And that means that the team is going to be serving members more, providing more support. And we always look at that and go, do we have enough people? If yeah. we grow by this number, are we able to handle that? And the last few times actually we've had launches, we actually hired about six weeks before we had a launch just because we knew that those numbers were going to increase. And I, I realized that I didn't want to have all of these new members and us playing catch up and trying to, to 
embed a team and teach them that. But it takes time and having that experience and also being able to trust that process because there were the questions of, but what happens if I don't get those numbers? What happens if I hire somebody and they and I don't have the work? Yeah. So it's a bit. And that's a huge consideration. Someone said to me today, how do you start the process of hiring someone? Do you get them to work on commissions at the start because maybe you don't have the money there to build the team, but you want the sales, but you don't have the money, like it's that chicken, egg, horse, cart situation, right? Which one do you do first? I think it's also about looking at if your team isn't at capacity, what will take it to capacity and what indicator do you look at to go okay now's the the right time to hire before that they're at that 100% I had a client that we um when I first started working with him he was probably about 45% capacity he was a service-based business business uh where people came into his shop and all that sort of stuff and within I think it was six to nine months we built his business so quickly and so streamlined and the systems and processes were working so well he hit capacity where he had a six-week waiting list and I was like well that's not good either like people yeah, go to work yeah. somewhere else and so he went and bought another commercial property and built a whole new workshop so that he could manage that capacity as he went so, yeah and I guess it's just trusting in that knowing when when you do make that that investment but there's there's one other thing I wanted to to ask you about that I think is really important that you touched on. And that is the whole idea of your best piece of new business is from your existing clients. And I think entrepreneurs forget this sometimes that they're so busy chasing the sale and not looking within at what, what they have already. Yeah. So I look at that as your retention strategy. And I also look at it from a concept of farmer versus hunter a lot of business owners are out there hunting for more leads, for more business, for more sales, where really some of the best gold is already in their database. They've already worked with you. How do you um, get your clients to refer people in a really beautiful, connected way so that they know that they're passing on someone that's going to be looked after? They know what it is that you do. And it's also a really beautiful way to build your business, word of mouth, delicious, cheap, effective, you know, your conversion rates of word of mouth are so much higher. But so many people don't look at that retention rate. Where are your clients when they first start working with you? Where are they once they're finished? And is there something else that you can help take them to that next level once they're finished working with you? What does the life cycle of that client look like? How long are they in your business for? Are there ways that we can increase that life cycle of working with people? Yeah, that's, that's so important. And I found throughout my years of being a business owner is my best clients have always been the, the recurring ones. And you build the relationships with them and they trust you and they want to work with you, but you need to, to nurture that as well so they don't yeah. feel like you're off hunting for new business. Yeah, I, it's kind of like when you get a phone plan and, or, a, or a, um, a mortgage and they always look after the new clients better than what Isn't they do. Isn't that funny? It, it drives me crazy. My bank has done that as well with my mortgage. And they're like, no, 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 we can't give you a good rate. That's only for new customers. <laughs> but I've been your customer for 10 years. You yeah. know? Like, like don't why be would that you not want to keep me? Yeah. Right? 
And I will say to my bank, that's fine. If you can't give me that rate, I'll go and be a new customer for someone else. Yeah. Oh, how quickly they turn around. And sometimes I don't always want to be the bad cop either. So maybe sometimes I'll throw hubby in there and be like, my husband's telling me, even though he's not, like, let's be very, very clear. I'm sorting out all that back end stuff. But I'll say my husband's saying to me that we need to move because he's seeing a better rate. You can't give it to me. So I need to go somewhere else. I need to look after us. You know, I never want my clients to ever feel like that within my business. I still talk to and work with my second client that I've ever had. She refers so many people to me. I look after her like she is an absolute queen because she is. I'm so grateful that I've ever met her. I'm grateful for everyone that she's put through. I've loved the journey and the experiences and the kids and the family and the marriages and all that stuff that's happened over our our journey together. So beautiful. So beautiful. I love that. And I think, you know, as we come to the end of this, like the, I think probably one of the biggest things that I take away from, from this is that sales is more about nurturing those relationships. You yeah. get good at nurturing your relationships and the sales is going to follow. Yeah, like actually care about people. It's not hard. If you find that you don't have enough care for the people that you're working with or the clients, change your clients. Yeah. Let it be authentic. Let it be real. Let it be connected. Let it be focusing on that relationship. And then sales will absolutely come naturally and your business will naturally grow. Will naturally grow. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, before we finish, I would just love you to say really quickly, if anybody wants to find out more information about you or your sales club, how, how do they find out more information? I'll put it yeah. in the show notes as well. Perfect. So you can find me at mariekirkpatrick.com is the website. I'm at Marie Kirkpatrick across Instagram and Facebook. And uh, if you want to check out the Her Sales Club where we help women learn to sell what it is that they do in a really beautiful, connected way, um, you can check out mariekirkpatrick.com forward slash club. And women from all over the world can join as well, right? It doesn't matter where they are in the world. All over the world, we have worked with global women everywhere. Um, so we welcome you all in. Selling is selling. <laughs> Foundations are all the same. Amazing. Thank you, Marie, so much for joining us today on Women on the Rise. Pleasure. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. If you'd like to join our membership, the doors are currently closed. But if you put your name onto the wait list, you'll be the first to know when we're accepting members again. If you're a female entrepreneur, this is the best place for you to connect with other female business owners and work on starting, building, growing, or scaling your business. You can find out more information in the show notes or on femalefusionnetwork.com forward slash join.